Wednesday, this is Windwood Radio. I am your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. The name of the program at 5 o'clock is Discussions of Truth, and you have joined that. If you are listening after the scheduled slot, hopefully hopefully you're doing so on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, there's a number, including iHeartRadio, there's a number of different platforms that we are now available on. Follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, and that is I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Today, an incredible show coming your way as Discussions of Truth hosts Dennis Bushnell. Dennis will be joining us in about 15 minutes. He's a chief scientist at NASA Langley. Bushnell owns six patents. He's made key contributions to the following programs. Fast Ship, Gemini, Apollo, Ram, Viking, X-15, F-18, E-5. Patent holder on that one. Shuttle, NASP, Submarine Torpedo Technology, America's Cup Racers, Maglev Trains, and Planetary Exploration. His membership and awards include... National Academy of Engineering, Royal Aeronautical Society, Swire, and Wilbur, and Orville Wright Lectures. You probably don't realize, but Paul Hellyer, former Canadian Prime Minister who joined this program just, just a couple weeks ago, actually studied at a Wright, that'd be Wilbur and Orville Wright institution that was operational then in Glendale, California. Anyway, back to Bushnell's credits. ICAS Guggenheim Lecture, Israel Von Karman Lecture, Gene Zara Award, the ST Presidential Rank Award, the Pi Tau Sigma and Hamilton Awards, UK Kenneth Harris James Prize Honorary Fellow, and many more. He has authored 252 publications and presented 350 lectures and currently reviews. 40 journals and organizations. His academic achievements, a BS degree, NME from the University of Connecticut, high honors, and an MS degree, NME from the University of Virginia. Dennis will be joining us momentarily. Anton Chaitkin was the guest of last week, speaking about his current project, which basically piggybacks off of his most recent book, Treason in America. The American Prometheus, which he really kind of pigeonholes into the life and accomplishments of Benjamin Franklin. But he doesn't limit it there. He also notes uh, Washington's contributions in various ways. But the overall message is that America is in need of a Prometheus. Um, Anyway, the American Prometheus is Anton's current book. And prior to that, we did host Paula Hellier. We will be hosting, to start next month, an incredible guest based in L.A., John Barber will be presenting his studies on Your Mother is a Virgin, but that's his current book. But most importantly, we'll be hearing his side of the Garrison Tapes. The Garrison Tapes go into the JFK assassination and the then 
Orleans Parish District Attorney Jim Garrison. Jim Garrison was portrayed by Kevin Costner in Oliver Stone's 91 film, JFK. And what makes, or made, because he's now passed, the late Garrison, what made him controversial, in a sense, is that he pushed and questioned and investigated what is known and still remains the official JFK report by the government known as the Warren Commission. So, five-time Emmy Award winner John Barber will join us to discuss his accomplishments in Hollywood, which do include the Garrison Tapes. Okay, and, and, and if you're familiar with my work on the program and this program discusses the truth, then it may ring a bell because so we've had on various guests to talk about their their own work on the JFK case. That also includes Mark Shaw, um, who's a former defense attorney and a USA Today and ESPN uh, uh, legal analyst, uh, just to mention a couple. Uh, and Mark obviously has gone down, I say obviously, if, if, if that is if you're familiar with the work that I've done on, on this program, he goes down the road of Dorothy Kilgallen. I leave it at that. And we are rescheduling the month of May as we're slotting in David Icke for May 28th. He was actually going to be joining us next week, and we're moving him to later in the month of next month. He's offered, authored 20 books, public speaker. He's based in the U.K., uh, he's lectured in over 25 countries. If you're not familiar with David's work, or at work, he's a former BBC employee. I do encourage you to look into uh, David Icke. Opening up today's program, we will be connecting with a former guest on the program. He holds a PhD from Oxford, local to the state of Florida. Dr. J.P. Lindstrath will be joining us, and I will be right back with J.P. Again, you've tuned in to Discussion of Truth. This is Winwood Radio. I am your host, Ian Hamilton Trotche. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. That's I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. And most importantly, donate 50 bucks to the program, and I'll send you a T-shirt. Impeach Mass Media. And we have J.P. Lindstrath on the line with it. J.P., what's going on? Welcome Hi, back to doing? the program. I'm doing great, yeah. I uh, just uh, continuing to write quite a lot and teaching and things like that. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. I understand uh, that you – I mentioned to you that we will be hosting uh, Dennis Bushnell, uh, chief scientist at uh, NASA Langley uh, later in this episode, and you had mentioned that you also know somebody working at NASA. Is, is this person, uh, which NASA location are they at, JP? They're also in Maryland. Uh, they're, well, they're at the Maryland location, and they work on atmospheric physics. He worked on the Cassini project, and so uh, he's been he's pretty well up there at NASA, and um works on, uh, you know, analyzing Titan's atmosphere and things like that. And what, what is his name, JP? His name is Connor Nixon. Connor Nixon. Connor. Maybe I'll mention it to him in, uh, when, we, when we bring Dennis on in, in, in a little bit. Sure. Uh, sure. Okay, so last month, uh, JP, you were very kind to come onto the program. And through our dis- through our discussions, we've we've kind of r- we've kind of talked about the possibility of, of bringing you on the uh, the first of the month uh, each month, make it a, kind of a regular appearance. Um, sure. So you know, and, and and thank you for that. Thank you. We really appreciate uh, your your interest in, in your time. Let's get into you know last week or last month. 
uh, you had gone down uh, the road of of these encampments in China and 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 you know the, their inability to honor right. and allow these people to practice the freedom of religion. Right. Um, right. Let's shift gears now and go down the Brexit road because sure. um, uh, uh, you've got some interesting uh, uh, research that you've done on that, and, and you've written an article for uh, Counterpunch uh, lately. Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate. It. Again, thank you for the invitation. It's always. Uh, wonderful to be on your show, Ian. Um, well, you know, I, like I'm interested in the Brexit topic, you know, because I, uh, like you have an English connection. I did my PhD at Oxford and you're part English. And so it's an interesting topic, um, not only for the European Union, but for Great Britain itself. So Brexit, meaning British exit or Britain exit, um, uh, they had a referendum in 2016 um, to basically asked the British public whether or not they wanted to leave the European Union and um, people voted 52% to 48% voted that they wanted to leave, which surprised David Cameron's government. David Cameron uh, is a Tory from the Tory party, which is conservative. Um, and now Theresa May, who is his home secretary, is leading the Tory government and... Um, Although she opposed, voted against the Brexit um, deal, now she's leading it, I guess, but not doing it very well because she only has 7% of public support in Great Britain. And this past week and this week, all the proposals for leaving Brexit have been shot down. So it's kind of complicated, but it's interesting, yeah. Who's that? What's that poll? Who, who put that poll out, that 7%, according to who? So I, I mean, I, I uh, obviously have read uh, these statistics in The Guardian and The Financial Times. The Financial Times is a conservative uh, financial newspaper out of London, which is like The Wall Street Journal. Um, and these polls are put out by, uh, I guess, a British statistical institute. Okay, yeah. And a lot of information that I've been um, recently gathering has been from Niall Ferguson, who's out of Stanford University. He's a historian. And there's another guy, he's Irish, his name is Fintan O'Toole, he's at Princeton University. And then there's, a, there's the former um, Greek economist, his name is Yanis uh, Varoufakis, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, I'm not Greek, but Varoufakis, and he's a former economic minister of Greece, 2015, he's also an academic and so on. So JP, in your view, where do you really see it? Sounds like the average, the, the overwhelming, uh, the average or, or majority of... Uh, British citizens are not in favor uh, of this. If I'm if I'm understanding that correctly, what where are the um, you know where where are the kind of the the sides the the, the from from the mainland Europe versus uh, you know what's this uh, what's this nuclei that's very small in in, in Britain that, that that would like uh, you know like like this Brexit to happen? Uh, in your view, what are the pros and cons? Sure. Okay. So. To understand the landscape, um, it's very much understanding that in the last three years, Britain has become a very divided society. So half basically voted for getting out of the European Union, Europe, European Union and half voted to stay in. So 52% versus 48%. And, and so, um, uh, you know, an American society is very divided as well. But I have friends over there and Irish friends. They've never seen Great Britain so divided, Ian. So, so the thing is that I think that economically, um, if we look at it from just an economic perspective, I think it perhaps is a disaster for both uh, England and for the European Union, mostly because London has, which is, have been, has been the financial hub of Europe, is now not going to be the financial hub because uh, big international banks like J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America and other banks around the world are moving their people around continental Europe. And then the other thing is that uh, car manufacturers that had sort of friendly relations as a, a way to get into the rest of Europe, um, you know, with these new trade deals being off the table or, or kind of having to negotiate new trade deals have wanting to move their companies as well. But the, the disaster really, Ian, um, and there's a couple things to talk about. There's soft Brexit, hard Brexit, and what's going to happen with Northern Ireland. 
And the big, the big fear for many people is this, okay, is the Irish border, Northern Irish border going to come back, which would be the only kind of land border that the UK would have with the Union. Um, and nobody wants that, not the Northern Irish people, not the English people. And so that would be a hard Brexit if they just crashed out of the Union and had these sort of hard borders and things like that. The other thing that people are talking about, Ian, is that um, a soft Brexit where the UK would stay in what's called the Customs Union, which would uh, keep all the kind of trade deals for moving um, products around from the UK to the EU, and stay in the single market, which would mean that, again, the EU is negotiating trade deals. But, but either way, staying in a customs union, union or a single market um, and, and having Brexit in place would mean that they would not have a vote in the European Union. Hey, JP, what's, you know, these banks are, you're saying these banks are moving their offices outside of uh, the city of London, which for listeners right. to understand, London is one, one thing, but the city of London is, uh, like JP had mentioned, is, is kind of, I, I believe you mentioned it, is kind of like the Wall Street. So it's, 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 right. it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a specific, and it's, it's almost like its own sovereign. I don't know the, 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 the specifics of the city of London, but it is a very separate part of London, and it's, it, it is the financial center. Uh, right. In so much that I believe the Queen of England uh, has to request permission to meet with what is uh, referred to as the Lord uh, of the city right. of London, and I'm not sure how accurate that is. But um, anyway, so so JP, outside of outside of we've and unfortunately we've got to we've got to wrap it up and uh, we've got to uh, we've got to bring Dennis on. But 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 outside of uh, you know, London um, in Europe anyway, what are you seeing? Um, you know, what are you seeing in the mainland of Europe? Are, are these offices moving to Switzerland? Are they moving in, 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 to Berlin? Are, is there any particular area of Europe that they're uh, that they seem to be moving to? Or well, the map? Yeah, the map that I saw, Ian. I mean, um, was that they're moving to Paris and Dublin and Berlin, like you talked about, and also Geneva, places like that. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So they're moving personnel around. I mean. Because I guess they have to anticipate like the the leaving the union, but I mean it seems to me that on at least the continental Europe, at least I guess among the European delegations or the European um, uh, members of Parliament, there there's a lot of pessimism of Great Britain leaving the union, and I, even though I think that a lot of economic forecasters have said and a lot of pundits have basically said that oh, it's not going to have much of an effect. I think in the long term it will. Then the other question, Ian, of course, is whether or not the European Union itself can stay together, which at least people like uh, Niall Ferguson said that because it's like a, a divorce, you go it's a long period, go through this divorce process, and then the European Union, because um, financial policy is directed by each individual European country, there's 28, um, it's kind of a mess because they have one unitary monetary uh, currency, but they don't have unitary fiscal policy, I should say. I don't right. know if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, of course it does. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that's a, that's a major <laughs> cog. Uh, JP, what can we expect from you next month? Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested in uh, um, indigenous rights, Ian, and I'm writing another article on um, indigenous genocide where uh, the Australia is just coming to terms with its own genocide of the Aboriginal people there. Wow, wow. There's some things yeah. coming out of Brazil, too, with the new president, which is really unfortunate, the Jair Bolsonaro, um, has been really negative toward indigenous people, and people are worried that the genocide happening in Brazil is going to get worse. Um, and, like, new, develops in, new developments in Canada as well, where... People are demanding more rights there, too. So that's kind of what I'm writing now. Excellent. And, and J.P. Lindstrom, uh, ladies and gentlemen, J.P., for, for listeners, that this may be the first time uh, listening to you. Uh, can you direct listeners to a, to a website or, or a blog, blog post? Sure. Uh, so I would say um, uh, please visit uh, uh, the website Peace Voice, um, which is – uh, has a lot of really good articles about, you know, 
having a more peaceful society, more peaceful world. Um, and I have, it's a peacevoice.info. And then the other uh, place where uh, it's, you know, quite recognized, and there's quite a few people there, like Noam Chomsky is there, Ralph Nader, people like that, um, would be uh, Counterpunch. And then um, I also have to give a a, a, a quick uh, shout out to a couple people, uh, Dr. Sussman at Barry University and Dr. Armis, who's the principal at Royal Palm Beach High School. But um, counterpunch.org is the online newspaper where I publish a lot of my things, or you can just type in my name, Google my name there, or just Google my name in general, J.P. Lindstroth, and you'll find quite a few things, I think. A wonderful honor to have you back on, J.P. We're looking forward to uh, to next month. Keep up the good work. Ladies and gentlemen, J.P. Lindstroth. Thank you so much, Ian. I appreciate it, and thank you so much, and take care, and, and, uh, and best of luck, and uh, I enjoy being on your show. Okay. All right. Talk to you later, J.P. Take care. Bye. That is J.P. Lindstroth. And he always brings uh, he, he brings quite a bit here to the program. He is a, incredibly intelligent and, and well-credentialed uh, uh, in the academic field. Obviously, uh, Discussion of Truth is very fortunate to have J.P. Linsworth. And what I had mentioned is that he and I are talking about uh, having him on monthly for a small segment of the, the first week of the month. So we're looking forward to, uh, to producing that. Uh, Counterpunch tells the facts, names the names. Fearless muckracking since 1993. JP is a contributing author. Uh, and if you simply uh, type into your web browser uh, the query counterpunch, and that is .org, you don't need to put it in, but counterpunch with JP Lindstroth, L I N S T R O T H, you will find his articles. I will be right back with Dennis Bushnell, chief scientist at the NASA Langley Institute. Okay, and we are back. Sorry for the prolonged delay. Uh, some issues trying to get uh, the Skype to uh, Skype to phone working, but we have online with us now uh, Dennis Bushnell. Dennis, okay. uh, there you are. Fantastic, excellent. Uh, Dennis, thanks for joining Windward Radio and Discussions of Truth. Uh, D- Dennis, for listeners out there that are not familiar with 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 you, would you please uh, give a quick introduction uh, of yourself? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm the the chief scientist at NASA's Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, I'm a member of the National Academy of Engineering. Fantastic. And and Dennis, you've been you you've got a number of patents. Uh, it, 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 to your name, and you've worked on various projects, uh, such as the Viking Project, um, and uh, y- your resume is is fairly extensive. What you've what you've talked about recently are a number of things, but um, it, it, climate change is one thing that I understand uh, is of most importance um, to your research currently. Is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, it's important for several reasons. Uh, and what I'd like to do now, if there's time, is to go through uh, what uh, seems to be happening uh, and uh, what to do about it. Fantastic. Uh, okay, let me go then. Uh, th- there have been several previous warming events in the geological ages. And when all the ice melts, and that includes Antarctica, which is melting now, uh, the seas will rise, and this is just geometry, 80 meters. Uh, and wow. here in Virginia, the shoreline will be somewhere between Richmond and Charlottesville. And most of Florida will be gone by that time. Uh, the worst warming event uh, thus far was, was the Permian, which is termed the Great Dying. Some 94% extinction from Siberian volcanoes emitting CO2. At one one hundredth of the current rate, we're putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Uh, during the Permian, the ocean thermohaline circulators, i.e. the Gulf Stream, stopped. The oceans went anoxic, very low oxygen, which enabled the overgrowth of anoxic ocean bacteria that emitted huge amounts of hydrogen sulfide, the rotten egg gas, which at small percentage of the atmosphere is a deadly poison, and along the way took down the ozone layer. This was a huge die-off. So 
you know, climate change going forward is far more than warm days and wet feet. And, and of course, the Gulf Stream is slowing down now. And the uh, amount of, yeah, go ahead, Dennis. Uh, we've had many decades of, you know, warning with respect to this, strong scientific evidence. Uh, but uh, in order to respond to that evidence, we're going to have to change things and uh, change winners and losers. And uh, some of the winners maybe didn't want to do that. Uh, so we are where we are. Uh, the changes now for climate are readily apparent, more so each year. And uh, 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 Miami floods now, Norfolk, Virginia floods now. Uh, the storms are worse. Uh, and it's of interest that one-sixth of the world's population lives off of the water from the Himalayan glaciers, and they're going away. Wow. So the current situation is is even worse than people think because – uh, the current gold standard is the International Panel on the Climate Change. And uh, because we, the science organizations, haven't given them the data, they haven't included the various positive feedbacks, which includes the uh, fact that the uh, tundra is melting about twice as fast that, as the rest of the planet. And therefore, there's a huge amount of fossil methane hydrate, the ice that burns coming out, and uh, that uh, methane is uh, 22 to 30 times worse than CO2 for climate. Wow. And then there's massive amounts of fossil CO2 coming out of the tundra in the oceans. And because there's so much CO2 in the air now, the oceans have taken up so much CO2 that they're turning acidic and uh, turning into weak carbonic acid, killing the algae. So previously, about half of the CO2 went in the oceans and half went into the forest. And we're cutting down the forests, and we've now acidified the oceans. And as everything warms, there's more water evaporation, and water is the worst greenhouse gas because there's so much of it. So the crude projection is that uh, with these positive feedbacks, uh, compared to the IPCC projections, it could be about a factor or two worse, that order of magnitude. Uh, the other place where science needs improvements for this is in cloud microphysics and aerosols. It's of interest that uh, clouds and aerosols are equal in magnitude but opposite in sign to the CO2 effects. And humans have added about 50% more aerosols uh, than, you know, were natural, and that's kept us cooler than we would have been otherwise. Uh, the ways forward, what we should do, conservation, the estimates are that if, if, if we do good energy conservation, you can cut the CO2 emissions by about 30%. Uh, there are negative energy buildings now, buildings that uh, generate renewable energy instead of consuming energy, uh, and uh, their technologies are developing rapidly. Uh, people are also shifting now to tele-everything, tele-working, tele-shopping, tele-socialization, tele-education, tele-medicine, tele-commerce, tele-travel, and it turns out that uh, we're past peak car now. People are traveling physically less. Uh, and teleshopping is 15 times reduction in the climate emissions compared to physical shopping. The Germans are developing seasonal energy storage by storing heat in the summer and cold in the winter. And uh, for renewable energy, the conventional renewable energy sources are well-known, hydro, geothermal, solar photovoltaics, solar thermal, wind, terrestrial, and offshore uh, and also freshwater-produced biomass. We need some 500 exajoules, which is a measure of, of uh, energy, uh, planet-wide, and the estimated capacity of these renewables is 15,000 exajoules. We only need 500. So capacity is not a problem with renewables. And there's some additional untapped renewables, including high-altitude wind off the U.S. East Coast and putting heat exchangers in the Gulf Stream, each estimated at about twice the U.S. grid load. And then there's uh, pulling CO2 out of the air, using solar to turn it into hydrocarbon fuels to recycle it, and also solar hydrogen, again, using solar energy. And then there's halophytes. Uh, halophytes right. are, are plants that grow on deserts and wastelands that grow with salt water. Uh, so what, you, what we can do is take the 44% of the land, which is wastelands, deserts, and uh, also the 97% of the water that's salt water, and just do farming. 
and uh, very cheap water, very cheap land, and the growing halophytes, we could solve the arable land problems. We could solve fresh water because we can use the halophytes to get us back to, to grow food, so we get back to 70% of the fresh water now used for agriculture. You can grow all the food anybody wants to eat. The halophytes are good food. And clean energy because we can uh, grow huge, huge amounts of, of a biomass and also use the biomass for petrochemical feedstock so we don't have to use use uh, petroleum. Right. And also halophytes have very deep roots. Uh, they they actually sequester 18% of their CO2 uptake. So it solves also a climate. And a seawater contains 80% of the nutrients for plants. And uh, there are some uh, now genomic microbes for aquaculture. So we can also grow uh, uh, energy uh, uh, on the water, 20,000 gallons of, of, uh, of uh, renewable fuel per acre year. Uh, uh, the dominant uh, uh, renewables are hydro, wind, and uh, solar photovoltaics. Their efficiency has been increasing, and their price has been dropping uh, very fast. Uh, they're now selling in many markets for some two cents a kilowatt hour, far below gas and coal, with their costs still dropping. Uh, the, so the coal plants are, are closing, and the nuke plants are closing because uh, the renewables are so cheap, not particularly because anybody's worried about climate. Uh, many of the renewables are, are baseload, such as geothermal, biomass, and hydro, but wind and solar need to be buffered by storage or be part of a smart grid, and both of those are developing very, very fast now. Some people are starting to talk about uh, uh, renewable energy costs as uh, energy too cheap to meter going forward, which means we can go to water desalinization and other things with this cheap energy. Then there's energy storage. There's many ways to do this. The storage costs have been dropping 17% per year for many years. And, and, and then a part of the storage approach is batteries. And, and these come either very light for transportation, such as automobiles, or most any weight for utilization on the grid. Uh, and, and all of the storage is moving very rapidly with uh, huge research going into it. And uh, you can now do photovoltaics, and for another 30%-ish, uh, as I've read, you can then do storage on it, too. So what's what's happening is uh, people are are going down to Walmart, buying PV and some batteries, coming home, uh, and then they go out and, and, and uh, cut the cord to the power company. Uh, I had a power company tell me that they thought going forward with all this distributed generation locally with with uh, individuals doing renewable energy that that uh, they could probably make more money using the power grid to sell high-speed Internet than they could sell on power. Hmm. Uh, uh, then there's, there's uh, weight-sensitive transportation batteries, which are going from lithium-ion to twice that with lithium metal, and finally lithium-air, and the people have been very successful developing lithium-air. Once we get that, then all transportation is uh, going to go electric, and uh, uh, going electric means uh, that there's no fuel fires and a crash or collision. You can do regenerative braking. You can double your efficiency. You're much quieter, reduce vibration, much lower energy costs, high reliability, almost no maintenance, far fewer parts, and, and uh, far less expensive. Then there's geoengineering. Uh, the first approach of this is to block the sunlight coming in, and the second is to sequester the CO2. There's, there's all kinds of lists of these things. Many of them will probably have massive unintended consequences. Uh, uh, I'm going to mention a few of these, which I think are, are not too abrasive uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the climate. Uh, well, one is white roofs and white roads. The impacts of the humans upon the countryside is now so pervasive. Some suggest that altering the albedo by changing the white roofs, roofs and white roads would delay serious column, uh, climate impacts by about a decade. Then there's putting CO2 into the oceans, producing calcium uh, uh, carbonate. Ocean fertilization, if you spread iron-rich dust on uh, the ocean, 
uh, algae requires iron-rich dust to grow and bloom, and algae sequesters 35% of their CO2 uptake in the ocean bottom. So the solution sit rep uh, situation is uh, is the following. We have or are working on technologies that collectively could, in a decade, uh, solve climate change, mitigate it massively, and, and in a process create wealth. We're awash in ever cheaper and more efficient renewable energies and the approaches to store it. We have the technologies to solve land, water, and food challenges. However, in the process, we'll have to change some things. We'll have to change the current power grid, current agriculture, and some current lifestyles and infrastructures what might change. The innate resources and technologies are nearly there to mitigate climate change. So, but there's no single golden bullet. The magnitude of this thing is nearly incomprehensible. We're going to have to do all of these. But uh, in this process, costs will go down, lifestyles will improve, and employment will increase. There's marching armies of photovoltaics installers now, far more than uh, people that were fired due to the closing power plants. But there will be different winners and losers at this scale. That has to be expected and the current winners are not understandably many of them particularly pleased with that, and in some cases are fairly powerful people. So to finish up and then take questions, the fate of our grandchildren and children is up to the collective us, and each one of us can take personal actions. The texts to counter this are increasingly available on the shelves of the local supply stores. There is an alternative, and that's to change the humans and the ecosystem to accommodate whatever climate mess we make. And we are studying extremophiles, biologics that live in deep ocean vents and deserts and in Yellowstone pools, which provides useful information and research if we ever wanted to uh, uh, or address designer humans capable of taking the heat. And with that, I'll take your questions. Dennis, uh, Ken Caldera has been a past guest on this program. Are you, are you familiar with uh, Caldera, Ken Caldera? I'm sorry, familiar with what? Ken Caldera. He's a he's a Stanford uh, professor, and he's 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 yes, yes, yes. So so for the so for the listener uh, out there that's that's listening to the science that you've just presented, which is a wonderful present. What can the average American do? Uh, okay. To, yeah, go ahead. The, the average American can. Uh, use a telephone and a computer instead of getting in their car. The average American can do what I did, which is buy new appliances, uh, washing machines, dryers, and in the kitchen, which uh, cut my electric bill in half and therefore my CO2 emissions in half. So drive less and uh, use, uh, you know, very efficient uh, things. Also, uh, you can vote to uh, uh, vote in people who, uh, you know, understand that, you know, climate is real and uh, that, you know, would like to do something about it because uh, there's an awful lot that can be done with laws and regulations. Yeah. Local to Miami, the, the city of Miami Beach has elevated some of these intersections and they've installed these pumps to try to pump. I, I, I'm not sure exactly where they had uh, replicated the studies from, but 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 like you said, the sea level is rising and in, in, in even Virginia uh, will have uh, an impact. Uh, but 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 Florida is uh, kind of ground zero for 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 being the first to go, it seems. Um, Ken, uh, you mentioned you didn't mention on the on the on, on, on the program yet, but what can you talk what can you say about the Sahara Desert? The which desert? The Sahara Desert. Oh, the Sahara Desert. Uh, the Sahara is part of the 44% of wastelands, which is desert. Uh, the Sahara has huge uh, uh, saline aquifers under it, including the Nubian aquifer. Uh, the Sahara is surrounded on three sides by salt water. Uh, if we plowed up the Sahara, a good chunk of it, and irrigated it with the Mediterranean, we could replace all of the fossil carbon fuels. Uh, and uh, as we irrigate with seawater on the Sahara, uh, what will happen is you make an unstable atmosphere, you produce freshwater rain, 
and you can put rainfall back in the Middle East and regrow the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, I mean, this is really, really powerful stuff. Uh, let me mention Norfolk, Virginia. You, you mentioned us in the same vein with, with uh, Miami. Uh, uh, we're actually worse than Miami. Oh, my goodness. We're, we're, we're the same as, as New Orleans, and that's because here uh, the Gulf Stream is shifting off of South Carolina, pushing more water up here. And our ground is sinking as fast as the water is rising, so we're double the rest of the country in, in the terms. Norfolk floods now, uh, and Norfolk looked at raising houses. They raised a few. It cost two to $400,000 to raise a house. Uh, and then they said, well, we got to raise the roads. They started doing that. And then they said, well, we got to raise the utilities. And, and, you know, finally they throw up their hands and says, we can't afford this. Uh, the Brits have looked at this uh, sea level rise problem, and, and, and their solution is retreat. Retreat? Retreat. But there's only so many mountains in space on the mountains. Well, I mean, you know, there's an awful lot of the U.S. that's, that's higher than 80 meters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, somebody had just contacted me recently about uh, trying to collaborate with me. That there's there's statistically only about twenty thousand polar bears uh, left on the planet, which 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 I I was I was unaware aware of. But is the is the number one culprit? If you could see a culprit, uh, the combustible engine's been around for uh, one hundred twenty years, I guess. Uh, is there is is it would would cul with a culpability be placed on uh, our uh, dependency uh, on oil, in your opinion? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, you, you, you mentioned polar bears. Canada came out just today and said uh, that, that uh, their uh, 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 water was rising faster than just about any other place. My goodness. Uh, the, the, you, you know, about Twelve years ago, the IPCC said we would have an ice-free Arctic in the summertime by uh, 2100. They're now saying, no, it's 15 years from now. So they're a little bit off, and, and, and that's due to all these positive feedbacks. Uh, you know, I've been down to Florida and, and uh, given lectures in Jacksonville to the people in Jacksonville. And uh, there's a place just south of Jacksonville, uh, Salt something, uh, where the average height is about three feet. It's it's it, it you know they have golf courses and all the rest of it. Yeah. And and probably by 2050 they're going to be underwater. Wow, I mean that's uh, that's in the a lot of our lifetimes most likely. Um, who who is a who is somebody that you're working with? Uh, in Congress uh, or, or politically, that understands it seems like uh, you know, it seems like the politicians, if you will, Washington just doesn't quite grasp. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the current administration is denied uh, climate change from from, uh, from being a reality. Uh, all, right, all right, let me say the following: uh, uh, To my knowledge, the Chinese have a thousand-year planning cycle. Uh, the Japanese have about a 140-year planning cycle. The planning cycle in the U.S. is the next quarter on Wall Street to the four-year presidential cycle. Right. Uh, well we're said. a little bit near-term, a little bit tactical, and the climate is a strategic issue. And as I say, there are different winners and losers in this, and uh, the winners uh, support uh, different, uh, you know, political people from the losers. Yeah, and 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 and, and so can we. Can we from 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 home? Can we kind of look at uh, some of these these gas companies from kind of being you know pulling strings and making and, and keeping this uh, keeping this under wraps? Is is that would that be an accurate kind of way to approach uh, it? I, I you know I'm not sure about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. you can see who is contributing. To, to trying to fix this, uh, 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 I have read that, that uh, people are terrified of petroleum going away, which it probably will going forward. Uh, 
because many of the retirement uh, uh, institutions are heavily invested in petroleum. Interesting. Uh, in fact, I had some students here uh, from the uh, uh, City College London uh, business faculty, and I had them look at, well, what happens if petroleum goes away? And it's not a pretty story. So there's that problem. Uh, but uh, That's just because so much of the economy and, and, and mechanics yeah, in the yeah, economy. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, fossil carbon. But, but reality is coal plants are closing right and left. Nuke plants are closing fast. Uh, people uh, currently 25% of all electricity on the planet I've, I've read is in fact renewable energy 65% of all new uh, generation worldwide is is uh, renewable energy uh, the costs are, are you know are still dropping and as I said people are starting to talk about energy too cheap to meter and, and so what's What's helping massively is is the economics. In other words, the the, uh, the technical work on on better photovoltaics and so forth that's that started with the Arab oil embargo in the late 70s with Jimmy Carter, and and, and then was held in abeyance for a while. Well, that you know percolated in the last administration, and there's all kinds of you know research going on paying off. And, and, of course, China now produces most of the photovoltaics. And if you if – you, that, that, that's an interesting point you just made there. But, but let's, let's get into uh, – if, if, if a listener was uh, suggesting in a, a, buying a Tesla, would you, would, you, would, you, would you encourage that? Would that be a good, a good route? Uh, it sounds like Amazon is a good – order your groceries, get out, you know, get, get out, of your, out of your car more. Uh, is possible as much as possible, but 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 do you support uh, what Elon Musk is doing te- with Tesla? Uh, oh yeah, I, I mean Musk is uh, Musk is doing electric automobiles. Uh, Musk is doing power wall batteries, uh, which you know uh, Australia bought a, a, a huge bunch of those, and, and uh, you know other people are buying them. Uh, and as we produce more. Uh, you know, electricity via renewable, we're up to 25%. We'll be up to 45 or 50% by, you know, 2035, 2040, or, or you know, much before. Uh, you know, then, you know, if you're doing electric transportation, you are using renewable energy and you're not burning petroleum. Yeah, and, and so let's go back into to China briefly. Um, we don't have too much more time, but... but uh, the Chinese are doing. It sounds like the Chinese are doing some good things. They've got a thousand-year plan. Um, how can how can America follow suit? It sounds like if if they can. All right. Let me say something about China. We kill eight thousand. I'm sorry, eight million people on this planet a year due to pollution from fossil carbon. Wow. And the Chinese in Beijing and other places have huge pollution problems. And it's this, along with the markets, you know, for the renewable energy stuff, which is driving China to go there. And China has a a, a huge effort now to get electric vehicles. Uh Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Dennis, uh, for uh, thanks for joining the program. For for listeners, uh, can you direct them to a website or a blog that they can learn more about uh, what you're doing with NASA and for the climate? Uh, with, uh, uh, with respect to climate, uh, uh, I have a, a paper on, uh, halophytes. So if, if you go in and, uh, Google halophytes or seawater agriculture, uh, you can get a hold of that paper, but also many others. And, and, and of course, if you, you know, if you just go, you know, Google climate change, you know, you can spend five years looking at that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Uh, pardon the uh, technical difficulty. I look forward to inviting you back on the program. Uh, Dennis, ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Bushnell, chief scientist at NASA Langley. Uh, Dennis, thank you very much. Honor and a privilege. Goodbye.
Once again, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Dennis Bushnell. And as you can see, he is at the forefront of what is happening to the climate that you and I are living in. And if we do not act immediately in a very alarming manner, uh, we will be um, paddling ourselves uh, to... uh, to that to that grocery store that that he's a uh, suggesting we let in one way or the other let uh, let Amazon uh, do our shopping for us. So a lot of wonderful and key information there, um, and I do apologize for the technical difficulty. Uh, I'll be right right back with uh, some closing comments. <laughs> Okay, and close out here, author Curtis Kallenbach will be lecturing, joining the program, lecturing about uh, zygote. This explains maritime law at, as it, at, it is in relevance to what is known as common law. Furthermore, defining the United States of America as a business and corporation versus the United States Constitution, which are separate entities. And uh, last but not least, to mention, he's authored 20 books, as I mentioned uh, earlier in, the ep- uh, in, in this episode. Uh, he's considered a global leader on uh, what's called a New Age Conspiracism. Uh, David Icke will be joining the program uh, next month, May 28th. Uh, we are an independent station, and we are self-produced. So, once in a while, we do have uh, uh, glitches. In our production, um, uh, personally speaking, uh, we are very, very fortunate to have brought you uh, 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 Dennis Bushnell. Again, he is the chief scientist at the NASA Langley Institute. And the best thing I think that any of us can do, apart from his recommendations, is let a friend and a family member listen to the alarm and alarms that he was just sounding for us. Until next week, I am your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. This has been another episode of Discussion to Truth on Winwood Radio. Be awesome.